This has been a school year unlike any I can remember, and perhaps one unlike any that has come before. This is a school year that began in another era in history, way, way back in the years pre-CE, the pre-COVID era. Can you remember what the school year looked like back in that ancient time? I can, scarcely. In the pre-COVID world, classroom teachers had actual classrooms, ones full of color and clutter and the cacophony of student interaction. These were hallowed spaces brought to life by the sounds of laughter, play, and a mutual love of learning between teacher and student. In the pre-CE world, schools were social places for students and teachers alike. While kids made friends and enemies on the recess yard, playing make-believe or playing sports or not playing at all, teachers talked shop or caught up in the staff room enjoying a brief moment of adult interaction amidst the child-focused frenzy of their everyday. In the pre-CE world, our current month, June, the last month of school, was a time of restless and anxious excitement. Teachers trying to cram in those final few subjects, all the while up to their ears in writing report cards, and students waiting, most of the time patiently, for the arrival of the summer break, stealing wistful glances out of the classroom windows whenever the teacher's eyes were averted. Now, these school realities seem so old that they kind of come across as quaint, almost as if they're from a storybook. In the post-CE world we have now, we have our new realities, virtual classrooms with virtual learning, Zoom staff meetings and online playdates for kids. A last day at school that passed by in March without us even knowing. Right now, teachers all across Canada are packing up empty classrooms while at the same time posting and making virtual worksheets and slide decks for their students. Most won't get the chance to say goodbye to their classes in person. No doubt we will return to some semblance of normal, both in our school and in our lives, our post-CE world isn't always going to be as it is now. But what exactly that normal will look and feel like isn't yet known. After all, there isn't gonna be a going back to a time before COVID. So today on Midtown Bookshelf, we are going to celebrate the end of school, the official end of this wild and unpredictable 2019-2020 school year, but also the unofficial end of schooling as we knew it, the pre-CE schooling. We are beginning a new chapter of public education in a new era of history, and it will be up to us to create that schooling reality. Let's hope, and as teachers and students and parents, let's make sure that this new normal is one that's even better than the one that came before. Good morning, my name is Matthew Rappold, and this is the end of school edition of Midtown Bookshelf. Hello everyone, you're listening to Midtown Radio, and this is Midtown Bookshelf. 
I'm joined as always by our regular hosts, Matt Rappelt. Good morning. And Serena McDermott. Good morning. Today we'll be sharing picture books and songs all related to the school year, a topic very dear to our hearts as the three of us are teachers. The end of the school year has certainly been a tough one for teachers, kids, and parents. And as we count down the last two weeks of school, it feels strange and honestly a little sad that classes don't get to end off their year together as planned. So today is all about celebrating school and all of the aspects that make it so special. So Serena and Matt, as we reflect back on all of the hard work and planning that goes into bringing a school year to life, I'm wondering, have you had any teachers that went that extra mile to make your school experience as a child or a teenager really memorable? I was thinking about this question and I had to bring up my grade three teacher, Medel Jacob, and she was just a fantastic teacher, so musical and uh, just made learning so much fun. And she actually had a musical that she had written by herself. She wrote all the songs, all the text, um, everything. And so she brought that musical into class. And we as a class brought that musical to life. It was called A Chasse Sa, all about cats that wanted to leave home. Uh, and it was in French immersion, of course. And I can still remember some of those songs uh, from that musical. They've just been like branded into my mind and they were so awesome. Wow. It's very fitting because I have two of our cats right here. Very nice. Yeah, the teacher that comes to mind for me um, is in grade seven and eight, I had the same homeroom teacher both years and I had the same class as well. It was 32 of us. Uh, we were all together, those 32 of us, right from grade four all the way to grade eight. And this teacher, having her in grade seven and eight, it just, we felt like a little family. Um, and she was primarily an arts teacher. So you guys know, like in a school, arts teachers are like the lifeblood of these schools. Like they tend to be the ones who are arranging assemblies and performances. And so I'm just thinking about like the end of the year with her after you know, having all of grade seven and all of grade eight with her. Um, we went to that graduation and she had done so much work to get everybody ready and have these fairly creative displays. And we did it in a big theater. So that's someone who comes to mind for me. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I think back to my grade six teacher. Um, my grade six teacher was, he'd been teaching for a long time. Actually, both two of my older brothers had him as well. And he was just so incredibly creative. When I think back to kind of what the education system was like back then and how it's transformed now, I feel like his teaching method was more on point with what teachers are doing now. Everything was um, really hands-on, really experiential. Um, like we, everything was learning through doing kind of and having these really unique experiences. Um, one of my favorite things that I remember doing was we had this writing assignment where we were stuck in a shipwreck, basically. So we were on this uh, on this ship that had been stuck in the middle of the ocean or something like that. And we also had a stowaway. You had to make up this character of someone that was stuck on the boat with you. And you had a list of supplies. And for about two weeks in class, we wrote uh, every single day about 
you know, what we were going to do on our boat that day and stuff. And there was one day where he made us sit on our desks, actually. We separated all the desks in the class and we had to sit on our desks pretending that, you know, we were stuck in this confined space. One day he brought us into the gymnasium and we sat on um, gym mats and he turned the lights off on us because it was like pretending that there was a thunderstorm. He flashed the lights and it was so cool to... Um, do this project that just brought out a really creative side to us because you know it's it can be difficult sometimes as a child to like tap into that um, kind of creative side of writing I guess if you're not feeling super inspired so yeah he just had all these amazing ways to really bring out the best in us and it was really inspiring yeah elementary teachers have such a uh, an amazing opportunity to connect with students um, especially since, you know, in grades one to six, they're spending all day with those students. So there's such an opportunity to bond and really create a lasting impact on those students. Exactly. Yeah. So to kick off our show today, uh, I have a song by one of Canada's greatest bands right now, in my opinion, The Arkells. This song came out shortly before the pandemic hit Canada. And as the university school year came to a close in April, the band noticed that many grads were actually tagging their social media posts with this song. They have since dedicated this song to all of the grads of 2020 to recognize all of the hard work that goes into earning a degree and how difficult it can be to not get to celebrate with friends, family, and classmates at the end of it all. This is Years in the Making by The Arkells.
streets Right now I'm in my zone Put your eyes on me I got the skies to show It didn't come for free It's been years in the making So put your hands up just heard Years in the Making by the Arkells. I'm Allison Dijak and you're listening to Midtown Bookshelf here on Midtown Radio. Today we are celebrating the school year and if you take a look at a calendar you know that that monumental last day of school is almost here and I'm sure if you have a student in your house they could tell you the exact number of days left. Matt Rappolt is going to start us off with a book selection all about that last special day. Thanks, Allison. Well, you're right. Today I found the perfect book to celebrate that last day of school. Do you know the old proverb, it doesn't matter how you start, but how you finish? Well, this delightful picture book tells the story of James, a student who may have had a difficult year in his class, but he is determined to finish it out strong before summer break. This book is called When It's the Last Day of School, and it's written by American author Maribeth Boltz and illustrated by fellow American Hanako Wakayama. It is a fun one for kids of all school ages. Now, because Boltz wrote for a predominantly American audience, there are a few references to activities that aren't particularly relevant here in Canada or here in Ontario. For example, reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. So I've taken the liberty as I would do in my own classroom, to alter the text slightly while preserving its overall spirit. And as I read this book, perhaps you, Serena and Allison, as well as our audience out there, can think about what your own last days of elementary school were like. So this is When It's the Last Day of School by Maribeth Boltz, illustrated by Hanako Wakayama. When it's the last day of school, this will be me. And we see a picture of James dressed up, ready to go in his best clothes. Flying, jumping, can't stop smiling, running all the way to school. Me. When it's the last day of school, I won't talk to Tony during silent reading time or cut in line to sharpen my pencil. I'll sing all the words of the national anthem and not skip over that middle part. I'll get a drink at the water fountain, one, two, three, and not spit the water back out because it's too warm. I'm gonna do all my work right on time, and I'll get Mrs. Bremwood's last gold star sticker for the year. She'll be amazed that I can do all my work with my lucky pencil the one that's just an eraser and a point. It's the pencil everyone wants, but I'll tell them that it takes a lot of standing in line and a lot of sharpening to get a pencil that looks just like mine. When it's the last day of school, I'll go to the bathroom, 
only one time in the morning and one time in the afternoon. And on the way back from the bathroom, I'll just wave to John, the janitor, instead of stopping in his office and asking him about what he's been cleaning lately. And by the way, did he know that the towel machine in the boys' bathroom was jammed? At lunch, I'll thank the lady that always smiles at me, and even the one with the grumpy face, and I'll tell them that it's a really good lunch, even if it's not. When it's the last day of school, I'll watch the film about lizards during science, and I won't think about how I rode my bike through the fire hydrant water with Tony, or how we'll maybe go camping together if we get a tent, or about how we'll find that secret fishing spot this summer. When it's the last day of school, I'll clean out my desk and scrub the top of it with paper towels and spray stuff that smells like my dentist. And I'll just give my desk three squirts, not a bunch, just like Miss Bremwood says. When it's the last day of school, I'll load my backpack with my lucky pencil and my leftover crayons and markers that work and my scissors that don't and that sucker from a long time ago that I forgot to eat. Then, when it's the last day of school and the bell rings, the last bell, I'm going to give Miss Bremwood my strongest hug ever. And I'll kind of pick her up a little. And she'll laugh and say, I've enjoyed having you in the class, James. Have a wonderful summer. And then, when it's the last day of school, at the end of the day, I'll explode. And that's the end of the story. What did you think of that one, Serena Nelson? The author does a really good job of sort of painting the life of a student in school. There are so many little like tidbits in there where I was just like, oh, that's so real. Like when when the uh, I'm not sure if it was the student or the teacher who's counting at the water fountain, one, two, three. Yeah. But it just brings me back after gym class when I'm the teacher and I'm standing beside the water fountain and I count one, two, three, next, one, two, three, next. Exactly. <laughs> Otherwise, kids will just take hours there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what a great story. It, it's yeah, it's funny to hear about those things that the kids are doing from a kid's perspective, because we always think of it from a teacher's perspective, you know, yeah. oh, don't write with that pencil. It's so short. It's going to cramp your hand up. But as a for a kid, that's like the most legendary thing to be able to have this pencil that's only an inch long. So <laughs> that was very cute, very clever of the author to do that. Yeah. Do you have any uh, memories from your last days where you're sitting there waiting for the clock to run out and you're thinking about other things? Do you have any experiences or memories from those last few minutes of a school year? As a student, I think there was always sort of a sadness with the end of the school year. I did like school and I especially liked being in such close proximity to all my friends all the time. That So at the end of the school year, it would always sort of be a bit bittersweet, um, just knowing that, you know, maybe I'm going to see those closest friends over the summer because I'll get together with them. But even those other people in the class who maybe they're not a best friend who I would get together with, but there's still someone kind of important in my life. And knowing that I wouldn't see them for the summer, that was always a bit bittersweet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't have any specific memories, but I just always remember, you know, having some sort of class party on the last day or the school would have like a school-wide play day where there was activities outside and freezies and 
fun things like that. But yeah, I mean, summer vacation to me was always like, we, my family always did a lot of things. We would go camping and I would get to go away to sleepover camp and um, things like that. So I always did look forward to summer vacation. But yeah, you're right, Serena. It's I didn't see some friends. There were some friends that like they went away to their cottage all summer. And so I, I wouldn't get to see them basically for two months, you know, before before the era of social media and such. So <laughs> so, yeah, it was I agree. Always a bittersweet kind of feeling. And when you're a kid too, those like two months is like 5% of your life. Like it's such a long time. So not seeing your friends for that long is a big deal. Yeah. I always remember like the, the feeling that I had walking out of the doors on the last day, knowing that I'm not going to be coming back to the school for two months. It always felt so surreal. It was just like, wow, like I've been here. I've, you know, I've had been in this routine every day for the last 10 months and all of a sudden it's totally different. Like it's the sense of freedom or the sense of like, almost like unbelievability, like that you can't believe that you're not going to be back to, at school the next day. And you don't have to worry about homework. Don't have to worry about being on time. Don't have to worry about cleaning at your desk. You just, you can do what you want for the summer, which is always nice. So in the story, we heard about all these things that James uh, is going to do on his last day of school as a student. And I'm wondering, since all three of us are teachers, um, do we have or do you have um, things that you do as a teacher to celebrate your last day of school? Any traditions that you might have or books you might like to read with your students? Or how do you prepare your students for that sort of surreal transition out of your class and out of the school year? Um, I would say that for me, I usually I usually end the year actually with like a sing-along in my class. Um, I love doing sing-alongs with classes with my guitar or ukulele. That's always a thing that I do to end my year. You know, I make sure I have a big sing-along with them because it's, it's just such a fun and joyful way to be together and enjoy some, some silly songs together. That's a beautiful idea. I think in my classrooms, I always want to help create that sense of closure for the students. So I'm always trying to give them a chance to kind of say those last goodbyes or, or say a see you later in kind of a structured way. So I'll do something where um, students kind of get to write a message to each person in the class, like a little mm -hmm. compliment or a little memory. Um, and so everyone can kind of walk away from the school year with those. And then I love to end the year with the Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the Places You'll Go, because it has such a beautiful message of, you know, hope and, and excitement for the future. So that's usually how I end things off. Yeah, that's a fantastic book, Serena. Uh, for me, the past two years, I've been in uh, teaching core French. So we always end the year with a big class French party. Um, so for those parties, I always bring in French toast, I always bring in dolce de leche, I always bring in icing sugar, and we just celebrate it by having a big French feast. And also, that is the one time in the year that I think it's acceptable to show the kids Telefrancais. And so we watched <laughs> an episode of Telefrancais as well. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, wow, what a, a fun way to reminisce about that special end of the school year day. Uh, Matt, did you bring in a song to go with that today? I did. This song is unapologetically summer, capturing both the energy and the nostalgia of those long days of July and August as a kid. And as I read the words from this story for the first time, I could even hear this song playing in the background as James explodes out of the doors on that last day and into his newfound freedom of summer. This song is 
by the unlikely candidates. It is called Trampoline. Take to unlearn. Life's just a game and it's just your turn. I look out the window at my old Trimaline. Forgotten it runs to like all of my dreams. Maybe the best thing that I could do is begin again and start things anew. So walk me the drum and scream out the stories. Summer night, the lily skin burning naked and bright. We could pursue each other, now we felt the same. She pulled me in closer, softly breathed my name. Wish I could stare again into those eager, honest eyes. But now in my mind, glad we're with this fire. So walk me the charm and scream out the stories. Shakes and disposable smiles, a mess of unhappiness and denial. I just wanna dance in the pouring rain, not care if people call me insane. Living all like an trampoline by the unlikely candidates i'm allison dijack and you're listening to midtown bookshelf here on midtown radio today we are celebrating all things special about the school year and teachers serena mcdermott what book have you brought in for us today thanks allison 
Well, I went back and forth between several books trying to pick for this week. There are so many sentimental stories that are just beautiful for closing off the school year. I think you heard me mention, oh, the places you'll go earlier. But I know that in the classroom, I always, I also love to share funny, silly stories, especially if I'm supply teaching a class so close to the end of the year. So in honor of this last relaxed and carefree days of school, I chose to share a short story from one of the books in the And Then It Happened series. This series is by Michael and Laura Wade from Strathroy, Ontario, and it's seriously goofy. Perfect for children in the sort of 7 to 13-year-old range who appreciate the simple things in life like toilet humor and explosions. The series features a trio of boys who are constantly finding themselves in outrageous situations. And every story features the line, and then it happened. And that's how you know that things are about to go sideways for these three boys. So this story is called Two Teacher with Love, and it's in the 12th book of the And Then It Happened series. Two Teacher with Love. It was the end of June, and tomorrow it would finally be over. Another long school year was coming to an end. For the past few days, teachers had been pretending to teach and kids had been pretending to learn. It was an annual truce, which everyone understood would end when the new school year began again in the fall. Gordon Paolo and I were riding our bikes, hoping to find a new fishing spot for the summer. Gordon came to an abrupt stop beside a road we'd never noticed before. Hey, I wonder what's down this road, he said. Let's try it and find out, suggested Paolo. Maybe it will lead to a creek or lake or something. It was a fairly boring road as far as roads went. There were a few farms along the way and a small factory at the very end of the road, which turned out to be a dead end. A sign said AAA Mining Company. Well, I said as we turned our bikes around, that was a waste of time. Now we have to ride all the way back for nothing. We pedaled in silence for a few minutes, and then Gordon skidded his bike to a stop and yelled, Hey, look at this! He jumped off his bike and started climbing down the ditch at the side of the road. Paolo and I looked at each other and then got off our bikes and followed. At the bottom of the ditch, Gordon reached down and picked up the largest firework I had ever seen. It was almost a meter long and as thick as a baseball bat. Wow, I said, this is great. What should we do with it? Well, said Gordon, I think our parents think fireworks are very dangerous and they'd be angry if they caught us with one. Paolo and I nodded in agreement. So, he continued, the right thing to do is to light it as soon as possible. That way we won't get caught with it and we'll spare our parents the trouble of getting angry. Paolo and I grinned in agreement. We could always count on Gordon to make doing the wrong thing sound like the right thing to do. We then began a discussion on where the best place would be to light our giant firework. Gordon snapped his fingers and said, I got it. Mrs. Hogsbright doesn't live too far from here. We could surprise her with her own private firework display you know, for being such a good teacher and for putting up with us all year. That's a great idea, said Paolo. We can ride over to her house after dark and set it off. And we'll leave her a note, I added, so she'll know who to thank tomorrow. Mrs. H sure is lucky to have students like us, Gordon said. Yes, I thought to myself, this has all the elements of a great idea. First, it will cost us nothing since we found the firework. And second, we might personally benefit from it. Mrs. H might be so happy that she'll make some last-minute changes, positive changes, to our report cards. What could possibly go wrong? We headed straight to Paolo's house to write a nice note, which we all signed. Paolo took a book of matches that his mother kept safely hidden in the back of the top cupboard. 
and just before dark, we biked over to our teacher's house. When we arrived at the woods beside Mrs. Hogsbrite's house, we hid our bikes and walked the rest of the way along the path behind her farm, staying hidden from view. We cautiously approached the driveway where Mrs. Hogsbrite's brand new pickup truck was shining in the moonlight. We could hear muffled voices coming from the front porch. It was our teacher and her husband sitting on their porch swing, enjoying a quiet summer evening. And it's only going to get better, I thought. I snuck around to the back of the house and taped our note on the door where it would hopefully be found the next morning. Gordon set the firework in the back of Mrs. Hogsbrite's new truck and Paolo lit the fuse. Then all three of us ran and dove into the ditch to watch the beautiful display. Gordon quietly counted to 10. We grinned at each other, pleased that we had found such a nice way to honor our teacher. Wouldn't she be surprised? Just as Gordon finished his countdown, there was a blinding flash of light. And then it happened. And this is where I will often pause in class and get get predictions from the students. What do you think is going to happen? But here we go. Let's find out. Kaboom! There was an ear-splitting explosion and the sound of metal being torn apart. We watched in horror as pieces of Mrs. Mrs. Hogsbrite's brand new truck flew 100 feet into the air. Burning metal and tires rained down around us in the ditch. The windows on our teacher's house were blown in, smoke got in our eyes, and we choked on the stench of burning rubber. It was all over in a few seconds. There was silence except for the crackling of a few small fires. Shaken but unharmed, we climbed out of the ditch. Gordon, Paolo, and I stared at each other. Finally, I whispered what we all knew. That was no firework. That was a stick of dynamite! Hey, where did Mrs. H go? asked Paolo, very concerned. And then we saw our teacher and her husband dragging themselves out of the flower garden where the force of the blast had thrown them clear off the path. Fortunately, they weren't hurt, so we figured that the best thing to do was to head home as quickly as possible. Maybe tomorrow we could explain what really happened and tell our teacher how sorry we were for accidentally blowing up her truck. We decided to take the back roads to Paolo's farm and sneak into the house. With any luck, no one would have even noticed we were gone. Coming up the back lane to Paolo's farm 15 minutes later, we saw something that made our blood run cold. Sitting in the driveway were six police cars and Paolo's father was surrounded by a dozen police officers. So here the police chief pulls the boys aside. Okay, boys, said the chief. I'm going to give you one chance to explain. And if you don't tell me the truth, I'm going to take my officers back to town. Or... Gordon and Paolo and I decided to play it cool, and between sobs and tears, we blurted out our story. The chief listened carefully and then sent a patrol car to investigate the dead-end road where we found the dynamite, which we swore we thought was a huge firecracker. Luckily for us, the police found a few more sticks of dynamite in the ditch that we hadn't spotted. Apparently, they had fallen off the back of the truck from the mining company. Fortunately, the chief believed our story, and he finally agreed that we had made an innocent but dangerous mistake. As the police were leaving, Gordon said, Chief, I was just wondering, how did you find out it was us? Oh, that was easy, replied the chief. Don't you remember? You left your teacher a note. The note, we yelled, remembering. Oh, no. The chief reached into his pocket and pulled out the slightly burnt note. It said, Dear Mrs. Hogsbraith, Words can't describe how we truly feel about you, so we thought we'd show you instead. We hope you enjoy our little surprise. <laughs> the end. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. 
That's a great book. Oh, I love that. Uh, I must have the mindset of a, a little kid because that story made me laugh so much. Oh, that was great. I love that we're able to record on video call because then I can watch the reactions on your faces. I saw Allison had to kind of duck her head down for a second because she was giggling so much. Yeah, this, honest- these are popular in schools. Yeah, I actually have a few of those in my bag that I always bring when I supply teach. Uh, I find that they're just they're perfect little short stories for, you know, when you have an extra five minutes before the bell rings or something. And actually, I didn't know they were by uh, authors from Ontario. So that's very cool. Yeah, books like that, they really just make me think that, you know, oh, I would love to become an author so I could reminisce or like, Um, live out some of these childhood fantasies that I had like what would happen if I found a stick of dynamite what would I do with it I think that that would be really uh really fun yeah I've actually seen these authors speak in schools before they have a really great talk that they do where they come around and um the the guy who writes these he'll share a chapter that he's working on and he'll get suggestions from the kids and he talks a lot actually about um, his writing process and how many times his stories go through revisions and edits. And that's a really powerful message for kids because, you know, as teachers, we will see a piece of writing that a kid has spent, you know, two minutes on and then we'll say, okay, now go edit, go revise. And they're like, ah, oh, but I already wrote it. Why do I need to edit it? So I like to uh, have this to go back to and say, you remember he Michael Wade, he edits his stories seven times. I'm only asking you to edit yours once. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, something that I've actually learned from reading these books are that it's always important to do a little pre-read of the story before you share it with a class. Um, There was one time I was supply teaching, I think like a grade four or five class. And again, we had a little bit of time left before the bell. So I pulled out one of the stories and I chose one that I hadn't read yet. And it's actually a story of the the three little boys discovering a dead body. And it's very funny. Like it's a really funny, uh, funny way that they tell it and the mischief that they kind of get themselves into. But, you know, being a new teacher in the class for the day, uh, the kids were a little bit taken aback. So, you know, it's always fun to share these kind of silly and outrageous stories. But it is important to uh, to make sure you've read it yourself just to just to make sure that you're comfortable with the content and that it fits the class that you're sharing it with. That's a good that's, good lesson. <laughs> that's how you make a name for yourself as a supply teacher. The kids will never forget your name if you were this teacher who read the dead the dead body story. Perhaps. So Serena, thanks for giving us a bit of a laugh this morning. That was really wonderful. What song do you want to share with us today? Well, this song comes from the Kitchener based band, I the Mountain. And you guys may be familiar with the band, being members yourselves. Um, I chose this band because you guys have four teachers as band members. Mm -hmm. And I always chuckle at the inevitable comments on your music videos from students saying, whoa, this is my teacher. Hey, teacher, do you remember me? So I chose a great summertime jam that will get everyone in the mood for warm weather. This is The Boat. your father the witching hour is dead 
Watching the time slip away And the seas are getting rough And it is getting harder To see your face by Kitchener Band, I the Mountain. You're listening to Midtown Bookshelf, coming to you, as always, from the murky divide between downtown Kitchener and uptown Waterloo. Today on the program, we are celebrating the end of the wild ride that was the 2019-2020 school year with picture books all about school milestones. Allison, tell us about the book you brought in. Thanks, Matt. So today I've brought in a beautiful storybook all about fitting in at school. It can be hard to navigate the social dynamics of a classroom, especially when you feel like the odd one out. My book is called The Day You Begin by Jacqueline Woodson, illustrated by Rafael Lopez. Woodson was just recently awarded the 2020 Hans Christian Andersen Award, which we had actually discussed a few weeks back on our program. And this award is an amazing accomplishment. It's the highest international recognition given to children's books authors to recognize lifelong achievement. So the book I'll be sharing today was actually inspired by a poem that Woodson wrote for one of her teen novels, Brown Girl Dreaming, about her childhood growing up in the 1960s as an African-American girl. 
She has taken the spirit of that poem and turned it into a raw and heartwarming picture book for kids. So this is The Day You Begin by Jacqueline Woodson, illustrated by Rafael Lopez. There will be times when you walk into a room and no one there is quite like you. Maybe it will be your skin, your clothes, or the cut of your hair. There will be times when no one understands the way words come out of your mouth, the beautiful language of the country you left behind. My name is Rigoberto. We just moved here from Venezuela. And because they don't understand, the classroom will fill with laughter until the teacher quiets everyone. Rigoberto from Venezuela. Your teacher says so soft and so beautifully that your name and homeland sound like flowers blooming the first bright notes of a song. There will be times when the words don't come. Your own voice, once huge, now smaller. When the teacher asks, what did you do last summer? Tell the class your story. And we now see on the page a little girl standing with her class. We went to France, Kayla says. These shells come from a beach in Maine. A boy named Jonathan holds out a jar filled with tiny shells so fragile. They look like they'll turn to dust in your own untraveled hands. And as you stand in front of the room, you can only remember how the heat waved as it lifted off the curb and your days spent at home caring for your little sister who made you laugh out loud and hugged you hard at nap time. You can only remember the books you kept on reading long after she had fallen to sleep. And in that room where no one else is quite like you, you'll look down at your own empty hands and wonder, what good is this when other students were flying and sailing and going somewhere? As we turn the page, we're looking at another little girl sitting at a table with her friend. There will be times when the lunch your mother packed for you is too strange or too unfamiliar for others to love as you do. When even your own friend Nadia will wrinkle her nose and say, what's in there anyways? And you'll wonder how she doesn't see the rice beneath the meat and kimchi. You'll wonder why she doesn't remember that rice is the most popular food in the world. There will be times when the climbing bars are too high, the run is too fast and far, the game isn't one you can ever really play. I don't want him on our team. You can watch. Maybe you can have a turn later. There will be times when the world feels like a place that you're standing all the way outside of. And all that stands beside you is your own brave self, steady as steel and ready, even though you don't know yet what you're ready for. Then we turn the page and we get back to the little girl who was reflecting on what she had done that summer. There will be times when you walk into a room and no one there is quite like you until the day you begin to share your stories. My name is Angelina, 
and I spent my summer with my little sister, you tell the class, your voice stronger than it was a minute ago. Reading books and telling stories, and even though we were right on our block, it was like we got to go everywhere. Your name is like my sister's, Rigoberto says. Her name is Angelina, too. And all at once, in the room where no one else is quite like you, the world opens itself up a little wider to make some space for you. This is the day you begin to find the places inside your laughter and your lunches, your books, your travel, and your stories, where every new friend has something a little like you and something else so fabulously not quite like you at all. That is a simply gorgeous story. I would love to share that with the class. I mean, just the way that, that the author has written it, it's just, it feels like a poem. It just, it really hits you emotionally when you hear the stories of those children. Yeah, I think what I really loved about that book is it sort of um, violated my expectations of what the book was going to be. When I hear a book about being different, usually it's sort of this very standard message of it's good to be different and that they kind of leave it at that. And I think that this author has done a really beautiful job of illustrating the emotional toll that it can take to feel different and then recognizing that kids need more than just a message of, well, just appreciate that you're different. That's a good thing. And instead giving a more complex message of it can be difficult to feel different. You will be able to find connections with people and, and not feel so different when you start talking to them. And still with a little dash of that message of it is a valuable thing to be different. Exactly. Yeah, this book is a really special one. And um, I hadn't ever actually heard of Jacqueline Woodson's work before, but she has a really amazing collection of uh, picture books and uh, sort of teenage novels and poems as well. And a lot of them focus on um, children of color and them telling their stories. And I think that's a really important perspective that we you know, should be opening ourselves up to and, and sharing with children and students as well. So this story is obviously full of great lessons for kids, and I think it would be a really powerful book to share with a class. But I think it also provides some really important lessons for adults and teachers as well about what children, particularly children of color, can face when they are at school. I'm wondering what messages would you take away from this book about creating an environment that is welcoming and celebratory of diversity? There was a couple things that I thought about in this book, um, things that when I reflect on my own teaching practice, it took me a long time to think of and learn. Um, and one of those things is just how intentional you have to be in your everyday routines in order to make sure that the children feel safe and to make sure that they feel comfortable in the class and that you're not putting them in a situation where um, they can feel left out or they can they feel like they can't participate. Um, for example, in the book, it talks about how um, the students 
are expected and Angelina is expected to write about her experiences at summer. Um, and that's something that I've run into in, in classes before where sometimes you, as a teacher, you think, oh, this, this prompt that we're going to be using is, is a great one. Like everyone's going to be able to write such great stuff about it. Um, but then you don't re you don't take into account the fact that, you know, some students might have different experiences. Maybe summer wasn't a great experience for some students. So you really have to be intentional about maybe providing two different prompts so that students don't feel like they have to reflect on an experience that was negative for them. Same thing in the book when it talks about choosing teams in gym class. I mean, I'm, as teachers, I'm sure we've all heard students make those comments of, you know, oh, I don't want so-and-so to be on, on my team. And that's a really scarring experience for whoever is the victim of that insult. And so you really, as a teacher, have to be so intentional and so um, prepared when you're thinking about your routines and the structures of your practice so that you can anticipate what's going to happen and head those things off so that they so that students in your class don't feel victimized in a, in a situation that could be avoided. I agree with you, Matt, that we need to be really reflective as teachers and constantly ask ourselves, how do my experiences in the past, how do my preconceived notions, how are they playing into my practice as a teacher? How are they changing the way that I interact with students? Because invariably we have experiences that we think are shared between all of the students that we're teaching, but that's not the case. We all come from different places and backgrounds and we need to be in an effortful way, be mindful of that. Um, and then I guess the other message that I took from this book was just kind of reinforcing how damaging it can be to have other people laugh at you or give you a hard time or, or make you feel other. Um, as an adult, we have a lot more skills in dealing with that and brushing it off. Um, you Adults tend to feel more self-confident, I think. So we can, you know, if someone made a comment about our name, we could easily brush it off and say, you know, that that just reflects poorly on them, not on me. But as a kid, you're you're so much more sensitive to these things. So I think that book helped me to just remember how sensitive these things can be, how much it can hurt to have that part of your identity um, like made to be other. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate the book for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wonderful comments, Serena and Matt. I, yeah, I was really happy that I found this book. I think it shares a really special message um, and especially really fitting for, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement that is happening right now across the world and in our own region. Um, it's really important to remember these messages of, um, you know, what life can be like for um, Black children growing up and how it's our job as adults to make sure we are doing the absolute most that we can to make their school's experience successful and a positive experience and just creating that inclusive environment. So to end off our show today, I've brought in a song that I actually first heard when I was in teacher's college. My friends who were getting their music teachable learned this song in their music class, and I knew that one day I wanted to teach it to a group of students as well. It's by American singer Keb Moe, and it's all about embracing the wonderful person that you are. 
This is I'm Amazing by Keb Mo. Brother, I need to talk to you. This might sound strange. And you'll probably think I'm crazy and I've lost my mind. Okay. I'm amazing. I'm incredible. I'm a miracle, a dream come true. And I'm marvelous. I'm beautiful. Guess what? I can feel it down in my soul I know that I am you And you are me oh, oh. And I'm grateful For the simple things That we take for granted every day Listen I can walk, I can talk I'm a miracle, a dream come true And I'm marvelous, I'm beautiful Guess what, so are you That don't mean we're better Than anyone or anything It's a And be amazing, incredible You're a miracle, a dream come true I'm marvelous, I'm beautiful Guess what, so are you Guess what, so are you That's right, so are you was I'm Amazing by Keb Mo. Thank you so much for spending the last hour with us here at Midtown Bookshelf. We enjoyed getting to reflect on the school year before it comes to a close in two weeks' time. Today on the program, you heard Matt Rappel read When It's the Last Day of School by Mary Beth Boltz and Hanako Wakayama. Serena McDermott shared with us Two Teacher with Love, a short story from the book and Then It Happened, Book 12, by Michael and Laura Wade. And I read to you The Day You Begin by Jacqueline Woodson, illustrated by Rafael Lopez. Next week, June 21st, is National Indigenous Peoples Day in Canada. We'll be bringing in books and music from First Nations, Métis, and Inuit authors and artists from all over the country. We hope to see you then. I'm Alison Dijak, and until next week, 
keep reading.